Hey everyone, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Carol Ann Flood, and I'm the worship director here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life, or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by His Word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in Him. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you and have you with us. If you're uh, watching online with us, uh, we're thrilled that you're in the room uh, with us as well. And we are continuing this morning this journey we've been on over the summer looking at these 12 different spiritual disciplines. These are 12 different ways in which we learn to have a resilient soul with God. In the times that we're living in, that's something that's really important. And so um, as we journey toward communion together today, and I hope as you're watching online, you're going to get a chance to do that with us as well. Uh, We are... The spiritual discipline we're talking about today is the spiritual discipline of confession. Confession is what we are going to be looking at this morning. Uh, So if you could, uh, who can tell me what this is right here? Ping pong. Okay, good. Ping pong. You you didn't say table tennis. At least I didn't hear it. That's good. That's the snobby uh, version of this. Yes, this is ping pong. We had one of these in my house growing up. We had a ping pong table. And so my younger brother, he's three years younger than me, he and I would always play ping pong together, and he was always better than me. Uh, Even today, my my brother's over six feet tall, he's got these long arms, I mean, he was just always better at ping pong than I was. And we would play, and we would play, and I, I would try to get better and try to beat him, but I just never could. When I was 18, I moved out of the house, and I moved into the dorm for my first semester of college. And to my great delight, I discovered there was a game room. And in this game room, there was a ping pong table. And so what I began doing is I began inviting all of my buddies in the dorm there, most of them uh, who were fatter and slower than me especially, I invited them to play ping pong with me. And so we would spend hours playing ping pong together. And my friends were, let's just say, they were not as invested in the game as I was. They were unwilling to spend the kind of hours that I was spending on the game And so over a period of time, as that semester went on, I got to the point where I could just dominate all my friends in ping pong. My game got better. I got better than all of them. I could beat all of them in ping pong. And my GPA showed it. (laughs) I had the kind of GPA one would have if they spent all their time in the game room playing ping pong. And so as the semester went on and as I got better and I could beat all my friends, my thoughts started to turn back to home. And I started to think about Christmas break and the rematch game I was going to get to have with my younger brother. And so I, I began to send him messages like, your day of reckoning is coming. You know, I was, I was like, you better be ready for this game. I've been practicing. And so, you know, the big moment comes. It's Christmas break. I'm home. My grades are terrible, but I am ready for this game. So my brother and I square up at the ping pong table at home. He takes his paddle. I take my paddle. And he proceeds to utterly destroy me in ping pong. It was one of the most shocking moments of my life, probably. I can't even tell you what the score was. It was one of the worst times he ever beat me in ping pong. I don't remember the score. I just remember how humiliated I was. And the problem, what happened there was I was comparing myself to my buddies in college. I didn't get an accurate picture of how good I really was at ping pong until I came home and compared myself to someone who was a lot better than me, even to this day at ping pong, my younger brother. So I want to talk uh, for a moment about horizontal comparisons. 
as we, as we talk about this spiritual discipline of confession, horizontal comparisons, this is something that we do all the time as human beings. We are constantly looking around us and we are making horizontal comparisons to our friends, to our culture, to uh, what our world says about us. And horizontal comparisons are dangerous. And the reason they're dangerous is because when we make horizontal comparisons around to everyone around us, we can actually get a false impression of how good we really are. We can get a false impression of what our sin is and how serious a situation it is that we're really in. You hear people say this all the time when they're making horizontal comparisons. Or maybe you've said some of these things, or maybe you've at least thought them inside your head if you haven't been willing to say them out loud. But people say, you know, all of my friends are having sex before they're married. Is it really that big a deal that I am too? Or, you know, every guy I know looks at porn. You know, what, what's the big deal if I do too? Horizontal comparisons. All my family's in debt. Nobody tithes in my family. Everybody manages their money poorly. Why can't I have the things I want? Shouldn't I be able to have the things I want too? Or, or maybe this one. You know, yeah, maybe I do have a little bit of a drinking problem, but have you seen Bob? At least I'm not as bad as Bob. Now, that guy has a drinking problem. Sorry if your name's Bob here today. I'm not meaning to call you out or anything. <laughs> right? Horizontal comparisons. The problem with doing that, when we compare ourselves to each other, is when you make horizontal comparisons, you won't grow. You won't change. You won't mature. All you're going to do is you're just going to keep making justifications for why it's okay to be stuck where you are and you won't go anywhere. All spiritual maturity, all spiritual growth really begins with this spiritual discipline of confession. Because what, what confession invites us to do, confession actually invites us to make a vertical comparison. A comparison to God and to God's standards in his words. To not just look horizontally around us and sort of justify or, or, or compare ourselves, but to make a horizontal comparison. And so this morning for our, our, our working definition of confession, confession is a vertical comparison between God's standards and my behavior. That's what confession is. Confession is a vertical comparison between God's standards and his word and my behavior. In fact, whenever you see the word confession in the Bible, in the New Testament, it is always the Greek word homo legeo. Now, homo legeo, two Greek words, homo and logos or logeo. It literally means same word. That's what it means. Homo legeo, same word. So when we're confessing, what we're doing in confession is we are literally saying the same word. We're saying the same thing about our sin that God says about our sin. We're saying the same thing about our lives and our behavior and our choices that God says in his words, in his word about our lives and our behavior and our choices. That's what confession is. Now, it's not just making that vertical comparison. Once you've made that comparison, then, then it's owning that personally. It's owning your behavior personally and it's saying, I, I've sinned and calling it what it is. Now, why is that so important to do? Why is that so important that we would own our sin personally? It's because as human beings, we have a million different ways of avoiding making sin personal, don't we? We have so many different ways of kind of creating a little bit of distance between ourselves and our, our sin and, and different ways of talking about it. Maybe you've seen a couple of these phrases. Now, this first one, have you ever heard this? Mistakes were made. Ever, ever heard that? This is said by politicians, 
by CEOs accused of fraud. Uh, and most recently where I've heard it, it's been said by megachurch pastors who are embroiled in a scandal. Mistakes were made, not by me, right? It's, it's a way of acknowledging a general sense of guilt. Yes, there were some errors, there were some mistakes, but creating some distance and not owning it personally. That is not confession. It's not confession. Or maybe, maybe you've been in a, a fight with someone, or maybe someone did something or said something to you that really hurt you. And, you know, in an attempt to try to make it right, the person said this to you, I'm sorry you felt that way. You ever had anybody say that to you? You, you wonder why it didn't make you feel better, why it didn't resolve the conflict. I'm, I'm sorry you felt that way. I'm sorry you took it that way. I'm sorry you misunderstood me. The reason, it, the reason it doesn't help is because the person is actually apologizing for you and the way you took it instead of owning personally what they did to make you feel that way and to cause the hurt in the relationship. That is not confession. Confession is when we come to this place where we own it personally. We make a vertical comparison between our behavior and God's standards and we own it. We say, I sinned. That's what I did. Now, what's interesting is when you go to the Bible, what you find over and over and over again in Scripture is you find warning after warning after warning uh, that God gives us in his word against avoiding confession. He says, don't avoid confession. Whatever you do, don't try to create some distance between yourself and your sin. Don't make horizontal comparisons. Don't try to avoid making it personal over and over again. We're going to look at three of them. So I want to look at three different passages where God is warning us against avoiding confession confessing our sin. First one is this, 1 John 1, 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. What I love about that verse is that oftentimes when we claim to be without sin, we think we're deceiving other people, right? Like, oh yeah, they won't, they're not on to me. They don't know. And literally the Bible says, John is saying here, no other people, like they pretty much know you have sin. Like they, they, they have you figured out. Nobody's fooled. But when you claim to be without sin, what you actually end up doing is you're deceiving yourself. You're fooling yourself. Next one, this is King David. Right after his sexual sin, when he was still carrying the guilt of this, he says in Psalm 32, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. That verse just makes me think about like the heat that we had, you know, last week or whatever it was, where you just walk out the door and that wall of like heat and humidity just hits you. The writer's saying like, that's what it feels like. Your strength just immediately just, oh, just gets sapped by it. That's what it feels like when you're carrying this burden, this guilt, and you're refusing to confess. Or or Proverbs 28, it's the third passage. Those who conceal their sins do not prosper. Now, what I love about not only those three passages, but every single time the Bible talks about these warnings, like why it's so important for you to confess, don't avoid confession, what what you'll notice is that the Bible never says, hey, you know, you you really shouldn't avoid confession because it'll hurt God's feelings. You know, God really likes it when you confess. Like, it would really help God out. Like, God would really appreciate it. If you, like, the Bible never says that. Whenever it talks about why we shouldn't avoid confession, it says it's because it's bad for you. It's bad for you when you don't confess. God's not fooled. But when we, you know, when we fail to confess our sins, it actually affects us. We are robbing ourselves of peace and rest that could be ours if we'd be willing to confess. And what happens, 
when we just sort of keep going, we refuse to acknowledge our sin. We just kind of keep going with the horizontal comparisons, making justifications, keeping our sin, avoid making it personal. What happens is eventually our inner world just becomes toxic. And we stop changing. We stop growing. And our relationships get stagnant. You've met these people, right? It's, it's like they've, instead of living 40 years, it's like they've lived the same year. They just, they're living the same year over and over and over and over again. Nothing changes. All spiritual growth begins with confession, making a vertical comparison between God's standards and my behavior and owning it personally. Now, here's what's amazing. In God's word, not only are there warning after warning against avoiding confession, but whenever you find one of those warnings, like don't, don't fail to confess your sins, you also find it immediately a promise. God always promises with those warnings, he always includes a promise of what he is going to do if we will confess. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at those same three passages of scripture we just looked at. And all I'm going to do is I'm going to read the next sentence. So you're going to see there, there's always the warning against avoiding confession, and then there is always a promise. God says, here's what I'm going to do if you will confess. So this is 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's what we just read a moment ago. But look at the promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Or Psalm 32 David's carrying this burden of his sexual sin. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But now look at what it says next. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Proverbs 28, 13. Those who conceal their sins do not prosper, but those who confess and renounce them find mercy. Over and over again, God, what God wants us to know, what he promises us in his word is that I long to draw near to you. I long to forgive you. I long to purify you. I, I long to enter into that, those places in your life. But we can't you know, deceive ourselves into thinking we don't need his mercy and that we don't need his forgiveness. John Newton, famous uh, slave ship captain, uh, you know, was responsible for taking so many African slaves through the Middle Passage and all the horrible atrocities that he was part of in, during that time in his life. Later on, John Newton became a Christian, and he was the one that wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, which you know that hymn even if you didn't grow up in church. Later in his life, John Newton said this. He says, two things I know for sure, that I am a great sinner and that he is a great savior. That's confession. Confession is when you can hold those two things in view. It's, it's, it's not making a horizontal comparison. It's not trying, saying, I'm a great sinner. I know that. I'm acknowledging it. I'm a great sinner. It's the warning, but there's also the hope. There's also the promise, but he is a great savior. I'm a great sinner, but the hope we have in that is that he is a great savior. Here's the truth. If my thoughts were laid bare before you right now, here in this room, or, or even watching online, if you could see, if you could know right now every evil thought I have, if you, if you could know every lustful inclination that goes through my brain, 
If you could know every lie I've ever told, if you knew even right now that the people I'm struggling to forgive, the grudges that I carry, if you could know all that, you would get up out of this room and you would walk out right now. You'd turn off the live stream right now if you, if you had all of my thoughts, if my thoughts were laid bare before you and you knew them. What's amazing about God is that what he promises in his word, what he says is that actually God does know all our thoughts. He does know every evil thought I have. He knows every lustful inclination. He knows every lie I've told. He, he knows all that stuff. He knows the people I'm struggling to forgive. And what it says is when I confess those things to God, God doesn't get up and walk out of the room. What God does is he picks up his chair and he moves closer to me. See, we don't get it. We, we think that like sin and brokenness is something that we've got to kind of like get out of the way so that then we can go and meet with God. That's how so many of us approach the Christian life. We, we think, okay, I've got this sin and we're aware of it. Like I've got this brokenness, this sin. I've got to like kind of get that out of the way so that I can go to church. So then I can meet with God. But that's not the gospel. What God says, promises us in his word is he says, no, actually it's your sin. It's your brokenness. It's your worst stuff that if, if other people knew about it, it would just horrify them. That's the very site. That's the very place where he wants to come in and bring his healing and his mercy and his forgiveness and the new life that we can have in him. That's good news. Now we could stop there. That's a good enough sermon for this morning. But what's amazing is that the New Testament writers, they take this idea of confession even one click further. So I want us to look at that together. We've been talking about how do we make a vertical comparison between God's standards and our behavior, and we own that personally. But then the New Testament writers say, hey, we could take that even one step further. Maybe we could take confession horizontally. James 5.16, the writer James says this. Therefore, he's talking to the body of Christ. He says, therefore, confess your sins to who? each other and pray for who so that you may be healed <laughs> now here's where it gets interesting isn't it because it's one thing to like confess my sins to God you know quietly in my prayer closet you know maybe I'll write it down in my journal and then I'll shut the journal and like padlock it it's one thing to say that quietly and you know in a prayer to God and confess my sins it's totally a different thing to confess my sins to all of you or to, uh, to others in my life and allow them to pray for me. But apparently, if I'm willing to do that, if I'm willing to confess my sins to other people and I allow people to enter into that space with me and walk with me and pray for me, apparently I can be healed. Do you realize that verse is, is what our prayer ministry is based off of? If you're physically here in the room, you know at the back of this room we have this banner that just says, how can I pray for you? And every week we have people who are there uh, and we have people who are praying during the week. If you're online, there are ways you can let us know and, and we pray for you when you let us know about that, any prayer requests during the week because we believe this. It's, it's not about judgment. We're not trying to judge people, but we just believe that verse that when we confess our sins to each other, when we let other people into that and we pray for one another, that we can actually experience healing. Some time ago, I was at the Meyer Pharmacy on Alpine Avenue. That's where we get our prescriptions filled. So I'm standing in, the, in line waiting at, you know, at the Meyer Pharmacy, and it's my turn. So I, I walk up to the window there, and there's this young woman standing there behind the window. And as I walk up, she says, oh, hi, Brian. And I was kind of taken aback because I hadn't told her my name or anything. And so she could see the look on my face, and she said, oh, I go to Frontline. And then she proceeds to make some comment 
about the sermon from the previous week that I, I had just given. And so we're having this conversation about Frontline and she, you know, she's sharing and talking about that. And we're having this conversation as she's filling my prescription. You know, she's got the bag and getting everything ready. And all of a sudden, as, she, as we're having this conversation, I have this horrible thought that enters my head. And I thought to myself, oh man, thank goodness I wasn't here to pick up the Preparation H today. <laughs> this time, Right? Thank God I wasn't here to get the hemorrhoid cream. And then like as we continue to talk and I realize she's got this monitor, this computer right in front of her. And I thought to myself, oh no, are my medical records on there? Could she see all my medical records? There's some embarrassing stuff on my medical records. Isn't that crazy how quick that like self-preservation thing kicks in? We don't want to be exposed, do we? We don't want to let other people into our kind of behind the scenes junk that's embarrassing, that's humiliating. Here's the, here's the thing about that though. She is there to help me, right? Actually, as a pharmacist, she's actually there to help, to heal me. And that's what James is trying to say to the body of Christ. He's saying in the same way that when we confess our sins to each other, we have the power to listen to one another. We have the power to be in this empathetic space with one another a safe place for people to come and confess their sins. There's no judgment. It's not about trying to judge others. And that we, when we do that, when we, and then when we enter in and we pray for other people, they can be healed. We can experience healing. Now, I want to make a really important clarification here. Uh, being cured of your sin is very different than being healed from your sin. Okay, those are two very different things. It's not saying we have the ability to cure each other of our sin, right? There's only one cure for sin, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel tells us, is that, is that Jesus took our sins upon himself on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5 says, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He took our sins on himself on the cross so that in him we could become the righteousness of God, that we get the life that only he earned, and he takes the sins that, that we deserved on himself, the punishment for the sins that we deserve on himself. So, so Jesus is the only cure for sin. But when we confess our sins to each other and we pray for each other, we can experience healing from the damage that's been done to our, our lives. So, so hear me, my, my friends. Confession won't cure the addiction, but it may be your best chance of experiencing healing from the damage it's done. Confession won't cure the marriage, but take it from me. Personally, I know this. Confession may be your only chance at healing the marriage and healing the damage that's been done. Church is not a place where we come so that we can be cured of our sin from each other. That's only found in Jesus. But church is a place as the body of Christ where we can offer each other a space to come. No judgment, confess our sins to each other and pray for each other. And when we do that, we can be healed. We can experience healing. And so I want to give you just a specific practical way to live that out. With each one of these messages, we've tried to look at each one of these spiritual disciplines and say, how do we practice this? Like, how do we actually live this out? And so when we confess, when you confess, I just want to give you, uh, you know, a couple thoughts on this. Um, first of all, make it personal. Whether you're confessing to God or whether you're confessing to another person, make it personal. Not mistakes were made. No, I sinned. I fell short. 
Make it personal. Secondly, make it specific. Not, you know, you know I, t- I tend to be a jealous person. No, say, I am jealous right now of this person. Name them. And when those feelings come online for me, this is what happens. This is where I go. This is how I act. This is how I, what I believe about myself. Make it personal. Make it specific. And then the most important thing I'm going to say all morning about confession. In fact, if you've, heard, if you've tuned me out this whole message, if you've heard nothing else I say, I've said this morning, listen to this. This is the most important thing I'm going to say. Make it his now. Make it his now. See, this is where we fall short in confession. This last part here, this is why oftentimes confession doesn't bear the fruit in our lives that we want it to. Because we'll make it personal, we'll make it specific, we'll acknowledge our sins to God, we'll say, okay, God, yeah, I did that. But then what happens is we still carry the burden of our sin. We still carry the guilt. We still carry the shame. We still act like it's ours to bear. And so what happens if you do that long enough, you know, you can acknowledge sins there and yeah, I feel bad about it. But if you don't make it his, if you just keep carrying it and you keep holding on to the burden and the guilt of that, what happens is over time, your sin starts to become an identity. In other words, my sin is not just something I did, but it's who I am. It's what I start to believe about myself. I didn't just fail I am a failure. I didn't just have a moment of weakness. I am weak. I am worthless. And when we begin to take that on as an identity, listen to me very closely. Your sin, my brothers and sisters, your sin was never intended by God to be your identity. It was never intended to be the thing that you took on in war and said, well, this is just the way I am. I guess I'm just this kind of a person. I guess I'm just no good. That was never intended to be what God wanted you to do. When we come to him, when we confess, we make it personal, we make it specific, and then we make it his. He who had no sin became sin on our behalf so that when we confess, we become the righteousness of God. We get his life and our sin becomes his. Several years ago, I was scheduled to do a wedding and we were one week away from the wedding, this wonderful young couple. We'd gone through the whole pre-marriage counseling and one week from from the wedding day, I get a call from the bride and she says, hey, I need to talk with you privately. It's never a good sign. So so we get together and uh, she says to me, listen, I need to tell you something. And she says, "Uh, years ago, I had an abortion. Said, you know, I was really young and I was scared. And in her words, she said, that decision unraveled my life. She said, to this day, I carry so much regret from that. I I carry, you know, so much shame from that. And she said, "I, I need to talk with you about my fiance. She said, you know, when we first got together and we first started dating, I remember thinking to myself, you know, at some point, I'm probably gonna need to tell him about my abortion. That's how she referred to it. She said, but you know, it, this didn't seem like the right time. It never came up. And so she said, you know, then our relationship, when we got more serious and, and I knew like our relationship is probably heading toward, you know, a serious commitment in marriage. She said, I remember thinking, I really need to tell him 
about my abortion. But she said, every time the moment would come, I'd, I'd think, okay, tonight's gonna be the night and we would get to the point in the conversation. She, she just said, I, I couldn't even make the words come out of my mouth. I just couldn't do it. And, and then she said, you know, when we got engaged, when he asked me to marry him and I said, yes, and, and the wedding date approached, I thought to myself, I have to tell my fiance about my abortion. She said, you know, I kept thinking like, maybe it'll come up in the pre-marriage counseling. Maybe there'll be this natural moment. She said, it just never did. I, sh- I couldn't bring myself to tell him. And so she, she begins to break down and to cry. And she just says, you know, we're one week away from this wedding and I've got this secret that I've kept from him. And I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to tell him about my abortion. And, and so I just said, well, have you ever confessed that to Jesus and just asked him to forgive you? And I'll never forget her answer because it shocked me. She said, are you kidding me? I think God hates me. I mean, I'm trying to live a good life now. I mean, I'm trying to like put that behind me, you know, move forward, just try to live a good life from here on out. But she's like, no, she's like, obviously God hates me for what I did. And so we read some scripture together and we just talked about the gospel, this very thing that we've been talking about this morning, that when we confess our sins to Jesus, he takes our sin upon himself and it becomes his now. We make it his now and we get to his life that's the hope that we have. And so uh, we, we prayed together. And so I remember she just wo- broke down and wept, just praying out loud for the first time, confessing out loud that sin and asking Jesus to forgive her. And when she was done, she says to me, thank you. I think I have the courage now to tell my fiance about my abortion. To which I said, what abortion? You mean his abortion? His abortion. His. You see, we we don't believe that the good news could really be that good, do we? We confess, okay, I acknowledge it, but deep down, I'm still a worthless piece of... We don't believe that it could, the gospel could be as good as we sing about. In that old hymn we sing, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Make it personal, make it specific, and then make it his now. Your sin is not who you are. It's what you did, but it is not who you are. So we're going to take communion this morning. And so you can do this if you're watching with us online. We invite you to do this with us. If you're in the room here, there are four stations around the room, um, in the back of the the chairs and everything. And so in a moment, the band is going to play a song. And as the band is playing that song, I want to invite you to come up to whatever table is closest to you. And if you're watching online, if you could grab the elements, but take uh, the cracker and take the cup. And I want you to take it back to your seat and wait. Because after the band's done singing, we're gonna actually take communion together. And if you're watching online, you, you can take communion with us in that way. But we're gonna add an extra element. There's, there's one more extra part to these communion tables. Um, so at each one of these communion tables, there's a cross and there's a basket. 
So sitting on your chairs, there is a three by five card that looks like this and there are pens everywhere. So here's what I'm inviting you to do. I'm inviting you to take that pen and take that three by five card and please let us know if you're doing this with us online as well. I invite every one of us to do this. Take a moment and just whatever God's been stirring, whatever he's been bringing up inside your spirit as we've been talking. Not a horizontal comparison, it's a vertical comparison. Make it personal, make it specific and write down and confess that to the Lord. And then what I'm gonna ask you to do is I'm gonna ask you to fold that piece of paper in half like that. Nobody's gonna read these, nobody's gonna look at these. And, and as the band is playing, come forward and drop that, that folded three by five card and in the basket and make it his now. Leave it at the foot of the cross, put it in that basket and then take the communion elements. You're gonna make an exchange. You're gonna make your sin his now and you're gonna take those communion elements back to your seat. And then we're gonna take it together because of the new life that we have in Christ. And so as the band sings, what is it? What is that place in your life? I've got something written here on, on my card. I, I've got, I'm doing this too. What is it that God wants you to say? That's not yours to carry anymore. That's not your identity. Your sin is not who you are. It's what you did. You are a child of God. Let's take some time and do some business with God now. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in Him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com forward slash connect. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.